Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Love exciting and new. Yeah, if only it were that easy. Hey, I'm Pastor Tim and I want to welcome you to part two of our current series, Heat, in which we are exploring the God's honest truth about love and sex. And whether you are in a relationship or you hope to be in one day, single, maybe you're married, maybe you're starting over, this is for you because our world has some definite ideas about finding that special someone or landing the man or woman of your dreams. In fact, I did a little research uh, on Amazon.com, look at the top hundred best sellers on the topics of dating and relationships, and I was amazed by some of the titles this week. Uh, Just to give you guys a little taste, I begin with a very subtle book for men. It's called How to Pick Up Beautiful Women in Nightclubs or Any Other Place, Secrets Every Man Should Know. Would you put this back on the screen? I want to show you something. It says, written by an expert, John Egan, B.A., like, he knows what he's talking about. He has a college degree. Uh, If you look, actually, women, they're not without their own game plans for landing Mr. Right. How about this one? Build a better spouse trap. Street smart dating strategies for women. Um, If you're more traditional, though, maybe you can try this hopelessly romantic gem. Um, Why men love witches. Witches with a B, right? From doorbat to dream girl, a woman's guide to holding her own in a relationship. Single guys, here's a tip. You find a woman reading that book, run! You just run, get out of there as quick as you can. For me, that title would probably make me want to pick up this next bestseller, Dating Without Novocaine. And uh, I will admit, the topic alone is not for the faint of heart. It's a terrifying prospect to a lot of people. In fact, uh, last time I addressed a topic, I got an email from a woman. She said, um, it's a horror show. I'm not coming to church for the entire series. She said, literally she wrote, she said, let me know when it's safe to come back. Uh, and I appreciated her honesty because whether you're single or you're dating or you're starting over, it can be pretty painful if you buy the world's approach to love and connection with the opposite sex. I mean, those, those titles are ruthless, I mean, and downright depressing. And can I just say, they do not reflect the amazing and rich experience that God intended relationships to be, quite honestly. Fortunately for us, God wrote a book of his own on the, on the topic of love and sex. It's called The Song of Songs, and it's full of foundational principles for developing relationships that aren't just life-giving to us, but that actually are honoring to God. So let me invite you to take your Bible and turn with me. Uh, we're in chapter 2 of The Song of Songs. It's on page 471. If you're following along, if you need a Bible on our internet campus, let us know. We'll send you one. And uh, today we're going to take a look at the role that the man plays in initiating a relationship and the role that the woman plays by responding intentionally to his initiative. If you remember last week, we watched as sparks flew between King Solomon, he wrote this book, and a young peasant girl that he sees uh, working in his family's vineyard. He's out one day kind of rolling in his chariot, rolling in my 5.0, driving through his kingdom. He sees this girl and he skids to a stop. And at first, she's actually very insecure, right? She's like, oh, no, don't look at me. My skin's too dark. I don't fit the culture's beauty marks. Remember this? But Solomon, he puts all her fears at rest. He comes right up to her and he says, no, 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 that's not how I see you, sweetheart. In my eyes, you look like a horse. And we're like, well, we've had to exactly blow the dust off of antiquity. This is a Hebrew love poem over 3,000 years old here. So we've got to, and he was saying that in his eyes, actually, her character, her carazzo, her soul, her inner spirit had a beauty all its own. 
This young girl serving faithfully in the fields of the king, she is sacrificing to support her family. She stops Solomon's in his tracks. It's a powerful moment because the beauty of her character stands out against the entire entourage and she warms and they exchange sweet words and sparks begin to fly. And we really learned that God has a different set of beauty marks that we are to prioritize. If we want a relationship that's not plastic and fake, but authentic, not a flash in the pan, but actually eternal, unfading over time. And today here in chapter two, we peek in on these two lovers in this next stage of their relationship. This is the stage that they would have called courtship. It's what you and I might call dating. It's what probably our kids call hooking up, although that's probably something else. But let's just jump in here. This is track two of Love Song, verses eight through 15, chapter two, two people talking, lover, that's King Solomon, beloved, that is the girl. And she begins in verse eight. What'd she say? Listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. In other words, there's this air of anticipation. This girl is at her window. She's waiting for her date to arrive. And she's like, listen, look, there he, do you see him? He's coming over the hill. I want you to imagine Pastor Tom on his Harley, right? He's got his chaps on. He's driving up over 287, bowling ball helmet, the sun glinting off of it. She's like, here he comes. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. In other words, it's the first date. She's excited. He's showered and shaved, cruising to pick her up. And, and, and she's excited. And so is he. Verse 9, my lover is like a what? A gazelle or a young stag. Translation, he is a stud right? She continues verse 10. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Now understand, okay? He is not a peeping Tom, okay? This is, this is not like some biblical mandate for voyeurism, okay? Don't get weird here. This man is approaching the girl's home. He's actually coming up the walk and he's kind of looking in the window. Is she home? He rings the doorbell. She answers. And what does he say in verse 10? Look at this. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and what? Come with me. His first words to her, come with me. This is a man with a plan. Amazing. He knows where he's going. He has a plan mapped out, and he's actually inviting the woman to come leave her parents' home and go with him somewhere. And this is the beginning of their romance. It's the perfect time for it. Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, see, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. It's this hallmark moment. What season is it? It's spring, right? It's 50 degrees. Goodbye, snow, sunshine, flowers, little birds. Amazing moment. And what Solomon is saying, he's saying, I see this budding relationship of ours is beginning to bloom. He says, the fig tree, it forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. He's like... Love is in the air, right? He's actually awakened by her beauty. And this is a very pretty picture. It is poetic. And then he ends with these words in verse 13. He says, arise. Come, my darling, my beautiful one. What? Everyone together? Come with me. You'll notice that is an exact repeat of verse 10. It's mentioned three times here. Come, my darling, come with me. You guys remember that song from high school? Come, my lady, come, come, my lady. You're my sugar pie, honey, baby. 
I actually instantly regret just doing that because you're not, you're not going to be able to get that out of your head for the necessary time together. Um, it's really amazing, but these words, come with me, are significant because it highlights the foundational role for godly relationships that masculine initiative plays. It is no secret that ladies love a man with a plan. Clap, ladies, if you love a man with a plan. Can we hear it? <laughs> Applause. Woo! All right, go ladies. In fact, a guy who has confidence and direction is actually upfront about his intentions. He actually is directive and he has a vision for where he sees the relationship going. Where is it going to take her? Women love a man who actually has purpose and clarity about what he envisions them doing together and actually inviting her into the larger story. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. This shows initiative on his part, really. And actually, it has echoes of God's original description of marriage in Genesis, right? For this reason, a man will what? He will leave his mother and father and actually cleave bond to his wife. Guys can't live at home forever. <laughs> and I know some of you guys, you actually, you know, you spend a lot of time working on your pickup lines. If you're taking notes, here's a great one for girls nowadays. I have a job. <laughs> I'm actually independent. Mom doesn't make my bed anymore. These are winners, okay? It's the only way you can say with integrity to a woman, come with me. We're going somewhere. I've thought it out. I'm manning up. I'm being up front, and I'm leading the way. Masculine initiative is really the foundation for any godly relationship, or marriage for that matter, that's built upon. You've got to lead, guys. Unfortunately, our culture doesn't really encourage that, does it? <laughs> really, from early on, men are taught to kind of play games, Right? We don't pray for our date, we, we, we treat them as prey. Something to be captured or toyed with. Play it cool, I've got to keep her guessing. Don't commit to anything because I've got to keep my options open. It's actually the exact opposite of masculine initiative. Because instead of being clear and communicative about our intentions, we're coy. That, that's literally the game. In fact, there's a great example of this in the current date movie that hit our theaters just this past month. You've maybe seen this. He's just not that into you. I want you to check out this trailer for a nice little commentary on the current state of male-female relations. A girl will never forget the first boy she ever likes. Why did you do that? Because you smell like dog poop. Honey, do you know why that little boy did those things? Because he likes you. That's the beginning of our problem. We're all programmed to believe that if a guy acts like a total jerk, that means he likes you. Hey, Connor, I hadn't heard from you, and, I mean, how stupid is it that a gal's got to wait for a guy's call anyway, right? We're all equal, right? Um, more women are accepted into law school now than men. Call me. He's totally gonna call. This guy, he MySpaced me. Ouch. MySpace is a new booty call. Oh. You know, Annie gave me the old, I'll call you right back. Call back? Should you call back? No. I know. I'm going to call back and say I'm going to bed. What? No. It's a genius idea. It's 9.30. I just need you to stop being nice to me unless you're going to marry me. This feels like a trick. There are many people who never get married. Look at Al Pacino. Never been married. Happy as a clam. Would that, am I, would I be Al Pacino in this scenario? You have no messages. Were you obsessing, pacing back and forth, staring at your phone for days? Maybe he lost my number, or is out of town, or got hit by a cab. Or maybe he has no interest in seeing you again. No guy actually wants to get married. And if they do, all they're really thinking about are all the women they're going to miss out on. I don't want to be with anybody else. I just want to be with Beth. 
I'm married. I'll do this. Mm. What if you meet the love of your life? Are you supposed to let them pass you by? So we're friends. Yeah. You know, you may be the best friend I've ever had. From New Line Cinema comes a comedy about meaning what you say. I really gotta go to bed, though. Is that an invitation? <laughs> what? Without saying what you mean. Oh, good. That was cheesy. this guy leave me a voicemail at work so i called him at home and then he emailed me to my blackberry and so i texted to his cell and now you just have to go around checking all these different portals just to get rejected by seven different technologies it's exhausting he's just not that into you or is he it's hard to tell nowadays even if you've been married sometimes but the truth is, folks, from beginning to end, the Bible lays out this, this, this consistent pattern of masculine initiative, of men who are made in the image of God, taking the lead in a relationship as a way of reflecting that image, as well as honoring women in our lives, whom we are charged to, to protect, to respect, to actually build up, not toy with, not play with, and certainly not just ignore and this, guys, this isn't just a principle for dating, but it sets this foundational pattern for marriage. Because scripture is explicit about the man taking the initiative and being the spiritual leader in the home. Last week I told you about the first date that I took Colleen on. I showed you pictures from Halloween. I was Elvis. We went ice skating. We carved a pumpkin in the fields. And uh, it was funny because as I recalled the memory of that, I was amazed by the degree to which I planned out every last detail of our first date. I remember because I actually asked her out two weeks in advance which was an amazing thing. I, should, I called the ice skating rink. Like, oh, you know, I want to make sure that it was open and everything. I think I actually asked them. I was like, can I get tickets in advance? Like, like it's public skating. Like, can I get tickets? And just like, what is that? We actually went out on a double date with another couple, my, uh, my roommate Tucker and, uh, and his girlfriend Kathy. And me and Tucker, we actually thought it'd be nice to carve pumpkins uh, after we went skating, as, as you kind of saw there. So we actually went out to that cornfield the day before and hid pumpkins. And we actually hid knives there to carve the pumpkin. That's actually kind of troubling. <laughs> we hit knives in this cornfield, so we'd be prepared with everything. That's actually really troubling. But that first year of dating life, I was a man with a plan. I, there was no detail. I arranged everything and paid attention. And you know what? Colleen really appreciated my initiative. It was attractive to her. And I was grateful, quite honestly, that I could actually show a little bit of my strength and take the lead that way. Now, fast forward to senior year. <laughs> Because we'd been dating several years by the time we graduated. We'd been on a lot of dates. We were not on our first. It was more like our 40th, okay? And as I reflected on that, I, I was like, man, how things change. First date, opened every door, the picture of courtesy and attention. Senior year, I actually remember Colleen calling me up one Friday afternoon, and she's like, are we, are we like actually doing anything you know, tonight? And me actually saying, uh, I don't know. I was, I, was, I was hoping we could like watch the Bulls and order pizza. Why did you want to you know, do something? What? And it's like inevitably, she, she would push us to go out. I like to stay in. I'm a, still a little bit of a homebody, but she likes to go out. And so we went out, and I remember that night, I was like, all right, we'll go out to dinner. But it was raining, and, uh, and I drove, and we pulled up to the doors of the TGI Fridays there in Carroll Stream, Illinois. And it's raining and everything. I was like, I, I, was like, I don't know if it's open. And she kind of like looked at me. I was like, 
you, you want to just get out and just go check real quick? And she, I, I know, she got out. She actually got out of the car in the rain, you know. And, and as I'm sitting there, she's checking the hours on the door. A car comes up, you know, because it's raining. And she starts flashing his lights behind me. And I, like, have to start pulling. And she's, she turns around. And she's like, hey! You know, she's like, get in the rain. And I just, can we just boo? Boo! I know, it's horrible. It was just amazing to me. Needless to say, not a great day. Does this sound familiar? Okay. What happened? Unfortunately, familiarity can breed what? Complacency. And if there is anything deadly to a growing relationship, whether it's the first date or it's 20 years into the marriage, man, it is complacency. It is the opposite of masculine initiative. I got lazy. And I suspect there are some men in this room, you're watching online, who have gotten lazy too. Let's just admit it, okay? It happens. Men are hunters by nature. And sadly, sometimes I think once we've like, you know, we've captured the prey... We kind of let our guard down and we stopped doing all the little things that kind of awakened our love's interest in the first place. So let's let this kind of first principle serve as a wake up call to married guys today. Okay, husbands, are you still doing the little things that illustrate the heart of a godly lover? You still doing them? I mean, it's okay to have casual times together. You want to rent a movie. You want to get popcorn. We all do that. We all do that, you know, kind of thing. But are you still taking the initiative that shows you are the mayor of Pharaoh in my eyes? You know, remember, what's our metaphor for the series? It's called heat, right? Heat. In other words, love is a fire, and you have to be intentional about fanning the flames to keep those embers going, okay? As a man and as a husband uh, for 10 years, that's a challenge to me, Okay. And so we're going to be challenging you husbands first. Are you still an initiator? If you don't know, ask your wife, okay? She'll tell you, all right? She'll let you know. Single guys, how about you? It's different for single men because in my experience, our world seems to give guys two templates to choose from. There's like, I can be the nice guy or the bad boy. You guys know what this is like, right? The nice guy. These are actually guys who are genuinely nice. They're actually kind. They're, they're responsible. They're faithful. But they're passive. They're like paralyzed. They never ask anyone out. Churches are full of them. I don't know why that is, right? You see this a lot. Like, church is full of nice guys, but they're like stuck. I mean, maybe it's fear of rejection. Or, or maybe it's like, you know, just weirdness. Like, well, you know, people are, it's a small fishbowl and everyone's going to be watching. And the pressure, like, what, what if I don't do this right? So I'm not doing anything at all. Ooh, nice guy. I went to a popular um, site called ChristianSinglesToday.com. And a reader named Kathy, she put it this way. She said, Guys today appear to be gutless. It takes far too much hinting to get them to wake up. Basically, this indicates their masculine character has been watered down by a culture that's allowed them to let go of their God-given roles. We want men back. No applause. Don't applause, ladies. This is not your moment where you go, hey, man, preach. This is not, we're not beating up. That's what the world does. Or the world gives choice number two. You be the bad boy. Right? Or the player, right? This is, this is the guy who takes a shot at anything that moves along. Love, sex, relationships. It's all a game to be played. Perspective dates are to be caught in the competition. You squash them. You, you see this distortion on reality TV today. Shows like The Bachelor. You've seen The Bachelor, right? The Bachelor. 25 beautiful women are brought to a luxury villa in Malibu to compete for the attention of one single guy. And they go on dates, right? Helicopter rides to Hawaii, they sip moe from hot tubs, right? Just, just like reality. <laughs> it's like, what world is this? And they all live together, and the lucky ones, they get to make out with the guy, and the losers are sent home, and the winner, maybe, gets a marriage proposal. Loves the game. Something to be won or lost. The R-rated version of that is like Brett Michaels' Rock of Love. Have you ever seen this? It's like all these hoochie mamas trying to box each other out. 
It's crazy. But, it, but when we said this, that this, love is not a game. It's not, it's not gross. It's not God. It's a gift from God. And you know what? Women, men, are to be treated as our sisters. Think about your sister. In other words, I don't toy with my sister. I don't fool around with my sister. I don't pit my sister against other sisters. I don't trifle with her feelings. I don't send mixed signals to my sister. I don't use my sister to make me feel good. Rather, I respect my sister. I protect my sister. I honor my sister. I serve my sister. Why? Because Jesus is our brother. And God is our father. And love is a gift. He's given, not a game. That's the idea behind authentic Christian love. In Christ, each of us is called to a phileo love. That's, that's the friendship kind of love. It's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly what? Love, phileo love. Some of us move to eros, and that's the erotic or romantic kind of love between a married couple. But the point is, in Christian community, we're all bound by agape love. That's the love of Christ. The love that serves and is trustworthy and is honorable and true. Now, guys, I understand. You may balk at this. Right now, you're sitting there with your arms crossed, and you're like, all right, dude, what, why, why, why is it up to me to take initiative? You think, right? Answer, because you're in charge. You're in charge. I mean, literally, God charges you with taking the lead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes this. I want you to realize that the head of every man is who? Is Christ. And the head of the woman is who? Is man. And the head of Christ is what? God. And folks, that is the foundational doctrine of the headship of man. And quite honestly, it has been distorted and abused in the battle of the sexes over the years, right? I mean, feminists hate this because they think it implies, oh, I see what it's saying. Women are inferior. That's what the Bible says. No, no, no. Men have abused it because they're like, yeah, I like that verse. I'm king. I am me in charge. Look what the verse says. The head of every man is Christ. In other words, Jesus is over us. And then it follows, the head of woman is man. And here's the deal. It's not talking about control or supremacy of man over woman, but something much more primal. You guys know this. Back in Genesis, right? God creates Adam. He puts him into a sleep. And what does he take out of Adam? He takes one of his what? Ribs. And he creates the woman. So in other words, in the Bible's view, the woman comes from where? From the man's what? From the side, okay? It's not feminism. She's ahead of him. It's not chauvinism. She's behind him, but she's where? She's alongside him. That's the Bible. That's the biblical perspective. We are equals. Husband, that's why she likes to snuggle with you. It's home sweet home for her. You get under, her, under his wing. I'm serious. It's not condescending. It's not about superiority. The men are in charge. The principle behind Paul's words here is priority headship. The man takes the lead. He's the first to protect. He is the first to sacrifice for the woman as Christ did for his church. I mean, think about this. What what was Christ willing to do to show his love for his bride? He died for her on a cross. He took a spear to his side. That's submission, guys. That's being the head, okay? Jesus is our ultimate model of masculine initiative in many ways. Neither wimpy nor dominating. God wanted to actually demonstrate his love, his passion for us. So what does he do? He literally leaves the home of heaven for earth to pursue a relationship with us up close. He doesn't settle for a long distance relationship, but he actually sends Jesus into our world in the form of what? In the form of a servant. Not a king, but a servant. That's what's sexy in God's eyes. You get this? 
And Jesus revealed his love to men and women, and he was never threatening, coercive, dominating, or manipulative. Rather, he was simply invitational. He was like, come see how much I love you. That's what the cross is. It's God saying, I would rather die than live without you. That's how much, that's how wide my love is for you. How much I'm committed to you. That's our model, men. That's submission, guys. We get to be the head. We're the first to get on the cross. Or at least get out of the car when it rains. You track it? God and creates men and women there. Equals. We're not more valuable. She's not inferior. That's why we take the initiative. We don't withdraw. We don't surrender or get apathetic. So here's two quick applications for two sets of men. First, single men. Which are you more like? Are you more like the Mr. Nice Guy? You're kind, but, but you're passive. You're paralyzed because, you know, whatever, you, re, you fear rejection. You don't do it right, so you don't do anything at all. Maybe you need to take the initiative and actually ask out one of the women here, okay? All the single ladies, am I right? Is this okay? Are we going to be all right with this? little smattering of applause. Single, all the single ladies. If you like, you better put a ring on it. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. Guys, don't hear this wrong. Don't hear this wrong. And don't be weird, okay? But there's some incredible women in our church. I'll be honest with you. It's frustrating me because when I talk to some of the women who work behind our teams, who serve on our service teams, work with, the, with liquid kids, man, there are some plums to be picked. There really are. And, and, I, and she may say, no, I understand that. It's a risk. But some of you guys, you nice guys, got to step up. Man up. And get in the game here, Okay. And she may say, no, I I get that. I totally get that, okay? Listen, ladies, if a guy actually does step up, you got to honor that. And you don't humiliate him and you don't smack him down either because it's a big deal for a guy. He's actually learning what it means to actually love his Christ. And when a man takes the initiative, you know what? He is taking a risk. He's taking a risk of, of being rejected like Jesus was. So if a man does invite you out as his brother in Christ, you at least owe him the courtesy of a dignified and gracious reply, even if you're not interested. If he takes the initiative, and even if you're not interested, you can simply say, thank you, thank you for asking. Actually, I'm not, I'm not available for that, but I'm totally honored that you would, you would think that way of me. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking. Be direct, be honest, but decline with grace. There is a way to actually... Don't make up an excuse. Don't roll your eyes and go, uh, no, I don't think so. Don't roll your eyes to your friends or get sarcastic, because he took a huge risk on your behalf. And there's a way you can honor his courage that allows him to walk away with his ego intact. Conversely, those of you who uh, identify with the bad boy or the playa, you got no lack of dates. You got them all the time. You play games with the ladies. You send mixed signals. You keep them guessing. It's all about you. You're not clear about your intentions, but you keep your options open. Can I just say, that's why you're a bad boy. You catch that? You're a boy, not a man. You might biologically or chronologically be a man, but emotionally and spiritually, you're still a boy. And if I get this, if you're getting upset right now, if you're like, whoa, dude, watch it, man. You kind of like it. Guys, you're going to need to grow up. You need to become the man God created you to be. And the only reason I say that with any degree of certainty is because I jerked Colleen around for a long time. We actually dated um, eight years, which is way too long. You You know what happened, actually, because of that? It fed Colleen's insecurity. She actually turned it inward. She was like, what's wrong with me? Why, why, why doesn't Tim know that I'm, I'm the one? And the reality was, it's not that I wasn't sure of Colleen. It's that I wasn't sure of myself. In my 20s, I was a boy who was desperately trying not to step into manhood. That's what our culture does. 
So I played around. I drew things out. My, my brother was older at this time. And I like had this weird thing like, oh, he's got to get married first before I can get married. And I just strung that thing along. Not good. Not godly. It's actually one of the big regrets of my whole life. In fact, it's only, it's only thanks to Colleen's patience that, uh, that we're together today. I married up. And the truth is this, guys. If I knew how liberating marriage actually could be, I would have gotten married much sooner. Bad boys, grow up. Okay, second group, married men, those of you who are married, husbands, are you still taking the initiative, huh? Are you doing the little things that honor your wife and show her interest? You ask her that tonight, that's your homework, she'll actually let you know. And here's the deal, if you have abdicated your headship or you've let apathy kind of sneak in there, you've got to reclaim it. You've got to reclaim your role. How do you reclaim your role? I'm glad you're asked. Let's go back to the text here. Look at verse 14. Solomon now talks about her. And what does he say about the woman? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. He says, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. What's he saying? He's like, this girl is shy. She's hiding in the clefts, and I need to draw her out. So he says, show me your face. Let me what? Let me... Hear your voice, for your voice is what? Sweet. He says, I want to talk to you. Not at you. I'm actually most interested in what you have to say. Let me hear your voice. Ah, the art of what? Listening, guys. You know this one? Man, if there's one thing, one Salomonic skill, I hope that you can master in life. It is the art of listening. I'm not talking about fake listening. Huh? Oh, really? Okay, huh? I'm not talking. The genuine interest in the heart of your lover. It's knowing how to ask soul level questions how how do you i mean how do you how does it make you feel that's scary for a man to ask why do you why do you say that what makes you think that not arguing not trying to persuade her but actually trying to unearth her and know her and actually being interested in her response see at some point most men fake listen in a relationship a few years into our marriage colleen busted me big time she threw up a big red flag uh, we were out to dinner and uh, again on our first dates man she was like the whoo, singular focus of my attention she was like the center of the universe everything revolved around her i would like lean in the table hang on her every word make incisive eye contact ask penetrating questions what do you think of that i'm serious or maybe not that intense but a few years ago we're out to dinner again we're like a chilies or something and as the waitress She's leading us to her table with the menu. It's okay, kind of, I actually find myself kind of craning my neck and then trying to kind of like box Colleen out so I can get the seat that allows me to see over her shoulder the TV that's just above the bar because it's got the Yankee game on it, right? Oh, you've never done this. You've never done this. I would never do such a thing. Don't point fingers. And it's so funny because she starts telling me about her day and I'm like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, no, no, nothing. No, I'm just, just, oh. And she's just like, what are you? What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> this, this is a, not a good moment, okay? This is not good headship, okay, guys? It is part of the sin of relational complacency. I got news for you guys. Women tend to be excellent communicators. And they can tell if someone is truly interested or not in what they have to say or feel. Listening. Let me hear your voice. Because your voice is sweet. It is vital to not only capturing but keeping a woman's heart and making her feel treasured and loved and known. I'm going to tell you, singles, actually, if a person doesn't listen intently to you during dating, it generally does not get that much better when you're married. Guys, she's a what? She's a dove in the rocks. You need to draw her out. Not lure her. Draw her out. 
Even if she's extroverted, you need to take the time and the care to get to draw out the deeper parts of her. And the image here, guys, is of a man with gentle hands and actually tender words that make her feel feminine. I think that's a key insight in the Song of Songs. What makes a man most attractive to a woman is his ability to make her feel like a woman. I've checked this with Colleen. It's true. <laughs> most of us probably think a guy's most attractive to a woman because like, oh, he's, you know, he's talented like David or, or he's handsome like Pastor Mike or he's rich like, I don't know anybody rich, but like that. No. <laughs> what makes a man most attractive is his ability to make a woman feel feminine, protected. Remember, home is where? Your side, under your wing, it's part of God's design. And your gentle pursuit actually stirs something in her. See, when a man is confident, he takes the time to plan to draw out her deeper feelings. It actually communicates his intentions without being obvious and heavy-handed. And that's a major turn-on. I think, honestly, some men make the mistake of thinking, well, I'm the dove, right? (laughs) That's a nice guy. They're timid or shy. No, it's my dove is in the clefts of the rock. She's the dove, not you. Or some guys are too aggressive, you know? There's a dove. Don't don't stalk her. Don't scare her. Not good, not godly. She's your sister. End of verse 14, Solomon says, your voice is sweet. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm hearing you. I like it. Tell me more. And then he says this, and your face is lovely. He compliments her. He's taken some time to draw her out. He's forthright. And he uses the language of love. Remember, Solomon is the wisest man in all of antiquity, and he's always pouring out compliments to his beloved. Your eyes are doves. You're you're a pure beauty. You smell good. You drive my chariot. (laughs) Very easy to do early on in a relationship, but it drops off if you're not careful. Married men, I want you to think of the stuff you said to your spouse while you were still dating. You guys remember that? What would you call her? Are you still calling her that? (laughs) My sweetie, honey buns, whatever it is for you. You gotta reclaim, you gotta reclaim that ground. Try it tonight. You're gonna throw her off. Reclaim that ground at dinner tonight. Would you mind passing the, the ketchup, my glorious hot hottie? Thank you. Thank you. Kids, would you applaud for the, the hottie of all the hotties? That's just, say that kind of stuff. It's funny. Colleen actually put in a bunch of hours with kids the other week. This is actually kind of funny. Uh, I came home and she was totally tanked and just kind of like show how much I, the kids were like, mommy, mommy, like kind of drilling at her. And I said, come here for a kiss, sweet mama. And I gave her a kiss and everything. And the funny thing is a day later, my little boy, Dell, he's sitting on the counter in the kitchen and he grabs Colleen's neck and he pulls her and he goes, come here for a kiss, sweet mama. And he gives her a kiss. Let your kids hear it, dads. Best thing for them to know that daddy loves mommy is a huge source of security for them and for her. That is the key to keeping the sizzle in your marriage. It's a discipline. You've got to train yourself in it. But it's a deep source of security for her, and she will love you for it. Now listen, ladies. I want to talk to you to end our time together. <laughs> because your response to his initiative is vital. It's not all on his shoulders, okay? Guys, if you're like, man, you're kind of beating us up today. No, no, just track with me. It's mutual submission. And the key here is that once a man takes the step to show initiative... You need to intentionally respond and honor him. You got to honor the risk that he's taking if you're dating, and you got to honor the sacrifice he's making if you're married. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 12, that's the verse we ended on last week. Would you look at this? This is a memory that the woman has of what it was like when the couple first got together. Here's what she says. Check this out. Chapter 1, verse 12, it says, While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. 
My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Verse 14, my lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. In Solomon's day, Engedi was an oasis in the desert. Literally, it's in Palestine. It's just west of the Dead Sea. Total desolation. I mean, in Palestinian desert, stark mountains, nothing. But in Gedi was this hidden oasis with cool water, balsam trees, fruits, blossoms. It was a beautiful place to be. Everything else around it, this desert. And the point here, guys, is that, ladies, I should say, when a man takes the initiative to actually protect or, or provide or sacrifice for you, he needs an Engedi. He needs a place of refreshment in your relationship from the hot and dirty work of his world. Because here's the truth. Most men view most of life as a desert. They do. It is hard. It is hot. It is exhausting. Okay? They go, they go to work all day, no encouragement, nothing. And they want to come home to a Nengedi, to a wife, to, to, to a refuge that's refreshing and rejuvenating. And you married women, wives, you have the singular ability to make your relationship an oasis, a place of, of rejuvenation and refreshment for your man. I'll give you an example of how Colleen has, has done this for me in a neat way. Um, we've been in our house almost 10 years together, and we leveraged a lot just to get in, so we didn't have a lot of money to fix it up or anything or decorate. Most of it remains unfinished. If you, if you walk in, if you walked into the dining room, like where we eat and everything, we got like, you know, a hand-me-down table, chip paint, and everything coming off. We got mismatched chairs everywhere, and not that Colleen wouldn't like to remedy that. I mean, she looks through, you know, catalogs all the time, dining room sets, too pricey. So mostly, we just paint stuff, you know, just to keep it like clean and looking, looking nice. But there's one exception to that rule in our house, our bedroom, Okay. A couple years ago, Colleen said, she goes, I kind of want to do some, something with the bedroom and uh, kind of upgrade it. And early on, because early on, it looked like the Rolling Stones lived there. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you married couples know this, right? Clothes all over the floor, the hamper overflowing, magazines piled up, like cereal bowls, water glasses. We had like a towel over the room. It was just a, a place like to dump stuff and crash. But one day, Colleen was like this. She goes, she goes I, I, we, we need a new bed. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? We got a bed here. And she was like, no, 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 I, I want to get a, a full bed, a real bed. Like, this is a real bed. She's like, no. So we go to the store. We go to Sleepy's, whatever it was. And we're like, stand. I was like, stand. Look at the price tag. She's like, no, I'm thinking bigger than that. I was like, a queen? She's like, no, I'm thinking this. And it's, it's a king. And I was like, oh, come on. But I was caved. And I was like, all right. You know, she, we get this big bed. No problem. But then she started buying bedding. St stuff, things like duvets. You know what a duvet is, guys? Dust ruffles. Stuff I didn't know even existed, Okay. She's like, she's like, we need pillows. I was like, wait, what are you talking about? We already have pillows. She goes, no, 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 no. We, we, no the, we need pillows to put in front of the pillows, right? And, and I'm like, pillows? What, what, what do you, what do you talk pillows for the pillows? I was like, what, what is all this stuff? I was like, what's that? She's like, that's called a sham. I'm like, what? I look at the receipt. I'm like, this whole thing is a sham. I was like, this is, it seemed totally unnecessary and expensive. And she was like, trust me, you'll like it. And, and so one night I come home exhausted from work and calls like, there's a surprise waiting for you upstairs. And I walked in and the room was dark, except for the glow of little tea light candles. She kind of put all over the bedroom. And I could see she painted it this kind of cool green, like kind of like a glade. And, and she had like a little Jack Johnson playing on the CD player. And then I saw the bed. And it was like this, the princess and the pea, like these big, puffy, oversized comfort duvet, whatever, with these frilly chenille pillows, just plumped up like three feet tall. And I was like, what, what is that? What's that smell? Like, that's, that's not underwear. 
that's, that's, that's incense. It's lavender. She actually had lit incense and everything. And I was just like, I looked at that thing, man. I like dropped my bag. I was like, Calgon, take me away. And I like plunged onto that bed and, and she came up and she walked in. She goes, so she goes, what do you think? I was like, tell me you got a lock for this place too. You know, it was kind of this, this moment. She created an Engedi for me, an oasis. Today, this day, if you come to our house, our bedroom is like a five-star hotel. I'm not going to let you in there. Room darkening shades, the whole bit. It's the only room in our house completely finished. And it is my favorite oasis when I come home from work. And I don't mean just for that reason, okay? At the end of the day, it's the place we get to escape to together. We go to Engedi. After work is done, the kids are down. No matter what happened out there in the hot and dirty world, we retreat to our Engedi. My lover is to me a what? A cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. It's an escape, an oasis. And whether we cuddle or we talk, she intentionally created it for me. And can I just tell you as a man, <laughs> that speaks my language, all right? <laughs> that fills my cup. Married couples, do you have an Engedi? I mean, you want homework? Married women, this is for you. You want to ask a dangerous question of your husband? Say, on the way home, what's um, that whole Engedi thing? What's in Getty for you? Ask your wife that. What, what does a Getty look like for her? I mean, Colleen's in Getty looks totally different than mine. And Getty for Colleen is like, we dinner, I, you know, I help put the kids to bed. I don't actually just pass out or I don't disappear. And then we clean up the kitchen and then we go downstairs and we watch Dancing with the Stars together. I hate the show. I hate it. All right. It's terrible. But I watch it because my wife likes to watch it. You know, what? it's a source of entertainment and escape for her. At first, like when she wanted me to come on, watch with me, it's like, you know, I pulled out, you know, we need to watch something more redemptive, you know. Now it's like, you know, for, I, I got it, I got it now. As she's finishing up the dishes, I go downstairs, I tune in, I'm like, hey, hurry up, sweetie, you're going to miss the cha-cha-cha. I'm totally on board now. And she comes down. <laughs> and, and while, it's kind of funny because, as we said, while she's watching, she likes to like kind of pick through my hair. I don't want to like get too, you ever have this? Like she's kind of like grooming or, you know, like searching, like, does anyone do, what is that? She literally, like, she sits there watching it, and she, like, kind of, like, pulls, like, she says, oh, look, you got a gray hair, you know, kind of, like, picking and gray. It's like monkeys. You ever see, like, gorillas do that? It's like grooming or something. It's like, you know, you know, weird. It's weird, but you know what? It's in Getty for my wife, so I do it. Married couples, what's your in Getty? <laughs> it's vital. You have to be intentional about it, though. Why? Because in Getty creates intimacy. That's what verse 12 is about here. It says this, my perfume spread what? It's fragrance. In other words, her intentional response to the man's initiative, it wakes him up. He notices, it creates this wonderful, this wonderful fragrance, this dynamic. He leaves with love. She responds with respect. He gives more love. Intimacy begins blooming. And so she says in verse 13, my lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my pectoral region. Yes, this is the beginning of a sexual exchange. You don't need earmuffs just yet, parents, okay? We're going to get into this next week. But suffice to say, wives, sex is a gift. Your body, it's a gift, and it is part of Engedi for him. Do not let him die of thirst. This is a big deal, guys. It's part of Engedi. It is a place of rejuvenation and a refreshment for him from the heat of the desert. That sachet of myrrh, actually, that was actually nard. It was actually a spice that a woman would hang around her neck. She would wear it to bed, and at night, it would actually melt from her body heat and give off this wonderful aromatic fragrance. And she's like, yeah, he spends a lot of time there, too. Yeah, he likes to, he likes to park it there, yeah, in Getty. All right? Great verse. Praise be to Jesus. 
It's one of my life verses. Commit it to memory, okay? Great. All right, look, I hope this is helpful. We're going to stop here. Actually, we're out of time. We're going to pick it up next week with part three and uh, parting challenge to all of our single, single guys. Actually, here's my question. Are you a nice guy or are you a bad boy or are you a man with a plan? Think about this, guys. Take the initiative. Husbands, don't stop. Big deal. Ask your wife tonight, how am I doing? What would you like to see? Do you feel like I listened to you? Ladies, what's in Getty for him? And Getty doesn't even have to be a place, guys, okay? It's just about finding ways to be intentional about refreshing your spouse on a regular basis. Uh, we actually have friends who there in Getty is just every month they go to a big dinner out once a month. They, don't, they save for it. They, don't, they budget for it. And it's not practical because they got to get a babysitter. It's like pay for dinner out, bottle of wine, the whole thing. But they, they look forward to it all month. And they pick a restaurant. And they spend the entire evening just this long three, four-hour meal talking, taking it slow. It's in Getty to them. It's a place where they reconnect on an intimate level. And you know what? It makes their leaves green. It refreshes their togetherness. And they don't save it for a special occasion because their marriage is the special occasion. That's the idea, guys, all right? So this week, as you think about this, nurture it. It needs to be protected and guarded and watered like anything else that's alive and growing. All right, I want to pray for all you guys. So let's just bow our heads all over campuses and we will commit ourselves to God this week. Jesus, thank you so much. We thank you for taking the initiative to come to us, to lay down your life to serve us, to sacrifice yourself to save us. And now, Jesus, we ask for your spirit to stir us. Awaken our men, Father. Wake us up. We're your sons. Awaken in us a spirit of authentic masculinity of respect and honor and authentic care in our population of single folks, Father. Would you protect hearts? Just, just keep them tender, Father, not cynical. Lord, I pray for our married couples right now. Would you reawaken love if intimacy has been lost? Rekindle those flames this week as you work your word into our hearts. We want to we see relationships restored, marriages mended and renewed. And we would ask that you do it in the name of of our leader and savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.